Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. He didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to another edition of Drafting the Circuits. You are listening to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour or more as we discuss everything racing. Uh, before we get started, let me introduce you to the panel tonight. With me, as always, in the studio, Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing. Gray, how are you? Good evening, everyone. Good to hear from you, Gray. Seth Eggert also in the house tonight. Seth is the NASCAR correspondent at Motorsports Tribune. Seth, how are you? I'm doing good. Yourself? Excellent, excellent, Matt. And uh, Richard Uden, also from Richard Childress Racing. Richard, you're back with us again. Uh, you become just a regular on the show, man. You know, you started out as a guest. And, uh, uh, man, we, we just love having you on every week. Richard, how are you? I'm doing very good yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent, excellent. And the last but certainly not least, Mr. Christopher DeHardy, uh, who also writes for Motorsports Tribune as well as uh, other places here and there. Um, Chris, how are you? 
Uh, slightly tired, but on the others, I can't really complain other than that. All right. Thank you for your very detailed answer. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so pretty big weekend of racing. We had uh, uh, IndyCar and Formula 1 were off. Uh, a lot of those guys uh, spent some time over at uh, over the Sarth for the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Um, and we'll talk about that in detail. Uh, but the NASCAR uh, was at Michigan. Um, on the high banks, and uh, it was Kyle Larson once again repeating his, uh, you know, the same place he had his first win. Um, you know, great race out of uh, Kyle there. His second race win on the year. Um, you know, a couple of a uh, couple of little stories coming out of there. Um, so uh, let's uh, run over to Gray. You wanna you wanna grab the uh, the forefront on this one? Yeah, it was a typical uh, typical Michigan race. Uh, Speeds were really high when they got there. Um, good, good qualifying efforts from uh, from the same from the usual suspects that you would that you would think. Um, and Kyle Larson was the was the odds on favorite going in. Uh, this makes uh, three in a row on two mile tracks. And of course, he won the last race as you alluded to last August. Uh, again, uh, the seventy eight car was really strong. Picked up uh, the first two segment wins. And I think that was his uh, uh, what ninth ninth segment win of uh, of the year when he when he when he got those two segment wins. Uh, a lot of good runs from some some of the guys, but unusual was some of the trouble that some of some of the team had uh, up there. Um, gosh, uh, RCR cars were uh, struggled throughout uh, throughout the weekend and uh, didn't run particularly well. Uh, Kyle Busch again ran close to the front. Uh, had had looked like for a while they had the car to beat, and uh, then of course we 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 talked about it off air coming into the show. There was the phantom uh, debris caution that kind of messed up their deal. Of course they had they had a strategy thing too where they uh, again uh, played a different strategy and that kind of bit them along with the uh, with the uh, debris caution and. Uh, Guys with fresher tires came to the front and uh, and and were able to. Kyle Larson was able to uh, take the win. Another good run for uh, Chase Elliott up there. I believe this was his third consecutive second place finish in Michigan. But uh, it wasn't a, a a highly competitive race. I think we only had, uh, gosh, uh, not that many lead changes. But I don't think we had four or five different leaders in in, in that race. But uh, Again, Kyle Larson, uh, you know, proved that he's the master of the two-mile tracks. Uh, yeah, good run for Kyle Larson. Um, you know, uh, disappointing run for some. Yeah, again, you know, here's Kyle Busch, who seems to be the man to beat week in and week out. Just hasn't sealed the deal in a points-paying race this year. Um, I, you know, it's coming, certainly. Uh, he's, I believe he's, he's still slotted 30 in points. So even if he doesn't win during the regular season, I think he's uh, he's going to be solidly in the chase. Um, you know, he's uh, he's got a better shot right now than Joey Logano with his encumbered win. So, uh, Seth, what are your thoughts coming out of Michigan? Uh, well, first off, the fan debris cautions, or air quote fan debris cautions, uh, they're not always phantom. And NASCAR actually does take a hard look at what is on the track. Uh, I was talking to somebody earlier in the week, and they told me that NASCAR will actually call out to their own spotters saying, can you see it? Where is it? 
what does it look like, what do you think it is, and sometimes it can be a two, three, four lap process, if not more, before they even throw a caution. Uh, there was a straw hat, a cowboy hat, for example, on the track that Dale Jr. and others made mention of after the race. And NASCAR, uh, one of their representatives on SiriusXM radio said that because they knew it was made of straw, that it would disintegrate on impact. And that's why they didn't throw a caution flag for it. Uh Otherwise, I don't know, Seth. Lot- I, I've seen I've seen caution flags thrown for hot dog wrappers, which you would think would disintegrate. <laughs> I, I'm just quoting much what was said. Than, I, yeah, I'm just saying. Um, you know, you can uh, take NASCAR's side all you want of that, but I think a lot of a lot of times, in my experience, some of these what they call the what do you call air quote phantom caution. Um, some of these are called for for dri- by drivers that need a caution who uh, get a call in the race control. Hey, there's something on the track, or there's something on the track, or so. Uh, uh, but uh, again, I mean, you've got to you've got to move on the side of safety um, if there is something there. Exactly. You know, so that's it's a tough call um, for the and sake, you can also, uh, You can also make the controversial comment: if it depends who's uh, in the lucky dog position or something along those lines as well. Yes, yeah, yes, you can like, get you can get into the um, you know, is the game is the game fixed or is there is it not? So um, NASCAR has a you know of course NASCAR's has a history of doing it. So I mean they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt because it's, this has gone on for years, and we all know that you know from time to time NASCAR like like uh, Seth said they will call around the track looking. I mean having their spotters. Ch- uh, check, but sometimes they go fishing for it too. And uh, you know, we've all heard. I mean, I've heard it over the years. Listening to them on the on the scanner, and you can tell tell what they're trying to do sometimes. But you know, I thought with the stage thing coming up, you know, with the stage racing, and of course that that adds uh, another couple of extra cautions uh, to a race to kind of bunch the field up and create another restart. That we would see. Some you know see them pretty much go away, but I guess you know from time to time they will uh, they will appear you know for for whatever for whatever reason. But uh, to play devil's advocate, so to speak, uh, is it really a fan debris caution, or is it just that TV, whether it's Fox or NBC, by the time they go to look for the debris, either they can't find it or it's already been picked up. Well, I think I think too that. Well, you got to look at it from 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 the driver's standpoint because if you listen to some of the scanner traffic during the race, all you know most of the guys in the field that were circulating the track didn't see whatever it was on the track that they were called throwing the caution for. You know, I haven't heard heard one driver say where they saw anything. So I mean, there there you go. It, and it could have it could have blown away too. I mean. You know, again, with what you said, but I haven't heard anybody uh, in the field say they even saw anything. Most of what I heard, I mean, Clint Boyer was very vocal on it. Uh, uh, Tony Stewart, who was spotting, he was very vocal about it. Uh, some of the other drivers, uh, you know, obviously didn't see anything either. But, hey, it is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. And, and Tony Stewart, for his part, was pretty vocal afterwards uh, with the, which he called the, uh, you know, mystery caution or phantom caution, um, you know. And it, it's just, it seems like sometimes these things fall in a spot where the the cars get really strung out, and maybe uh, you got the 
the show was getting, uh, you know, air quote, boring. Um, and then, then suddenly these things come out. But for Tony's part, he, uh, he ended up losing three of his cars uh, in the aftermath of uh, that yeah. late, late caution with it, the field being bunched. So in, in the course he of was, five uh, laps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, he was none too thrilled um, uh, because uh, Boyer, uh, Boyer wrecked in that um, – or Boyer blew an engine – is that uh, right? Boyer, he, Boyer had he got, Boyer, he got tangled up with somebody. I think it cut a tire he, down. And that, he went yeah, Boyer, yeah, yeah, and then um, Harvey yeah, got tangled uh, up, and then then Danica got wrecked. Uh, uh, it, that was the same wreck. Uh, what happened was Blaney got loose, got stuck above uh, Harvick and Suarez. They played bumper cars. By the time it ended, Suarez went across the nose of Darrell Wallace Jr. into Danica. Uh, Danica literally had nowhere to go. She got blindsided. Yeah, she was. Uh, a bit, she was. A, she was an innocent victim. And yeah, story and, of her life. There, she's. Uh, I think if uh, <laughs> you know, if you say how many amount of times she's been an innocent victim in a crash, man, you know, it's really disproportionate to uh, a wreck she's been in versus wreck she's caused, man. I really feel bad for Danica, and there's and there's a lot of. Yeah, I've read a lot of stuff lately that you know this that this could be her last year in the series. Yeah. Um, you know, with her contract up for renewal and uh, really nothing big on the sponsorship line for her. So, uh, I, I, do you think Danica's done after this year? Do you think Danica's got a few more years uh, in her? Do you think uh, Tony wants to hold on to her? Um, I mean, what's uh, what are your well, guys' thoughts on that? Because this has been kind of really ramping up over the last uh, several weeks. Well, her contract actually ends next season. But that was dependent that she has sponsorship, which at that time was coming from Nature's Bakery. Right. And we all know what happened there. Uh Uh, They're only going to sponsor, I think, four races in the end out instead of the original 24 or so that were planned a year and a half, two years ago. So whether or not she's in the sport, I think maybe there will be some teams that will try to get her because – Let's be honest, and it's an unfortunate truth. Uh, The publicity money would probably still be there no matter what. But for all intents and purposes, unless she wants a very competitive ride, I don't know where she would go. I don't know. So, but uh, but 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 do you think uh, Stuart Haas is done with her? The team's being pretty tight-lipped about it, but everyone around them is talking that she's done. Uh, well, I know there's been rumors to have Eric Almirola in the 10 next year, but again, there's still just rumors. So, whether or not she's done, I don't know. Uh, I mean, she, it doesn't really seem like there's been any attitude change or anything, because... If she knew she was going to be done there, don't you think she would be trying to, uh, I guess, stay out of harm's way, so to speak? Well, yeah, well I mean, she's still a racer. I mean, you know, she's right. still, even, I mean, she, even if she's out, she's yeah. auditioning. She's auditioning well, for her potential next employer. She was taken out this weekend in somebody else's mess. It, it wasn't nothing she created. Yeah. Right. And that's, and, again, and, and two, that, that, that's happened to her that kinda, times, yeah. It kind of ended a string of some, you know, pretty decent finishes for her uh, that that she'd had. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I'm sure it was a disappointing effort for 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 that team. Uh, hard to say what's going to happen um, on the sponsor front. 
she's still very she's still marketable. Uh, you know, she could get uh, she could she could still has the ability to bring some money to the table. So we'll just have to wait and see how how, how what happens is this second half of the season too. All right, so uh, Chris, you have any uh, you have any opinion on Danica since you're being quiet? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm right. Probably, so I'm uh, gone like a fidget spinner. You play with your fidget spinner, okay? Yeah. No, I'm saying her popularity is gone like a fidget spinner. I mean, let's face it. I mean, she these last few weeks have been good, but we should have seen this earlier, in my opinion. Yeah, two years ago. But it's it's you know it's almost like you know in a Formula One sort of context it's almost like the Felipe Massa sort of scenario you know he, he whenever his contract was up at Ferrari he'd have a few good races and then renew him for another year and then he'd go back to mediocrity and then the following year when his contract was up he would put in three or four good races and there was this cycle of it and I, I think that could very well be what you're seeing again you know maybe she knows that her uh, you know she's sort of having to sell herself one of a better word to mm-hmm. other teams and. Uh, and trying they to make people notice her. Yeah, they all seem to get up on the wheel when they're having an audition again. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. So, All right, so, um, Seth, so we've got uh, coming up into Sonoma, we're going to see a plethora of new faces in cars. Yes. Uh, uh, you want to kind of run down that list for us? Well, let's start with the, the biggest one, which is Richard Pay Moore Sports. Instead of having... Daryl Wallace Jr. in the car stubbing for Almirola, where he does ha- not have any experience at Sonoma. They ha- went to Billy Johnson, who is a... He's basically a Ford driver, uh, runs a lot of IMSA, runs a lot of the Connell Tire uh, Sports Car Challenge. He's a road course instructor who's worked with Almirola in the past. Uh, he finished second in points... Uh, once say four or five years ago in the Connell Tire uh, series, uh, in the twenty three for BK racing, you have Alon Day from Israel making his debut. Uh, he will be the first Israeli driver in NASCAR's Premier Series, and he's the first NASCAR Wayland Euro Series driver to make a Cup start. Then you have Tommy Regan in one of the Premium Motorsports cars. You have Kevin O'Connell in the other premium motorsports car, the 55. And interesting note about Kevin O'Connell, he also has plans to make his truck series debut later this year. When he does that, and if he does that, he will be the first driver to compete in all three series and have a master's degree. Uh, And then you have Josh Balicki, another uh, SECA regular, who is making his cup debut in the Rick Ware Racing 51. And, and let me add to that, there's only 38 cars entered uh, in this weekend's show, so they're all guaranteed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com. A starting spot, so uh, they'll all uh, they'll all make the show. Exactly, and we also have Boris said uh, returning for another start. He's going to be in the thirty-three in place of Je- uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt. Yeah, Boris said he's a good guy, man. He's a uh, he was uh, creeping up on getting a cup win uh, on a road course not too many years ago, and he was really I, I, I want to say he did a partial season on the ovals as well, if I'm not mistaken. He, he uh, did. Yeah, I, I, but yeah, Boris Boris has been on our show before. Um, he's uh, he, he's just a guy I really like. He's a really fascinating guy to talk to. Um, but I, but I hope he does well. Um, but, but you know, if you remember. Uh, not that many years ago, and Grail, Grail, tell you they used to. You'd see a number of the um, the, the bigger name Cup regulars would sit out the road courses, and they'd bring these these ringers in. Your you know Ron Fellows and Boris Said and and guys like that. And you'd have guys like uh, uh, that were running the full season. Guys like uh, Jimmy Spencer uh, sit out the weekend because they didn't like the road courses. Um, but now uh, you've got uh, the the, the championship is much more tighter. You can't afford to uh, just sit out and give your car up to somebody else. And you've seen the evolution of the NASCAR driver to produce some pretty fine, pretty fine road course drivers. Um, if you ask me, um, it's, you know, Sonoma is not one of my favorite courses uh, for the Indy cars, but uh, I think it puts on a great stock car race, honestly. And just to have watched uh, since the, the 90s, uh, you know, the, I think the first Sonoma race I watched was in the 90s. It might have been 1990. I remember Mark Martin flipping his car upside down and then uh, running to get his pit crew to, to push it back over so we could hop back in the car. And just the um, the amount of guys that look totally lost on the circuit – um, to this day and age, we've got these guys who've really figured out how to to muscle that uh, big stock car around the circuit and put on a great show. Yeah, and and that you the, the Rick you're talking to was on the old circuit at Sonoma when they used to have run the carousel up yes, at the top yeah. of the up at the so top they, of the hill. Shortened it, yeah, yeah, but you know, and uh, go ahead. And that's when he lost the wheel because they didn't get the lug nuts on, correct? Uh, no, I, I don't remember the circumstances. But I, I, I do remember getting them upside, I, getting upside I, down the tire barrier. I, I want to say uh, he lost a tire uh, exiting pit road. There's actually uh, Roush Fenway actually posted a video of it earlier today. He, so, he may have. I mean, I just I just remembered I was. Yeah. I remember it was. You know, you were talking. It was 25, 27 years ago. I was just flipping channels and I saw this, which looked like looked like stock cars, but it was at uh, on a road course. I'm like, what am I watching here? And this I didn't watch a lot of uh, NASCAR at the time, and it just kind of sucked me in and watched the rest of the race. And I really didn't know a lot of the guys in a uh, in NASCAR other than your bigger names, you know, Earnhardt, Rusty Wallace, Ricky Rudd, and there was this cat, Mark Martin, who flipped his car upside down, ran to the pits, got a couple other guys, flipped it back over, got in, and then for, for a couple of years, Mark Martin was my favorite race car driver. I said, man, that dude is, that dude is cool, you know, so. 
Yeah, it, it it the whole the whole road course thing in in NASCAR has changed over the last uh, actually the last two decades. Back back in back when we first started going out there in the nineties, uh, in the, well late eighties, early nineties, and stuff, you you had you had a, just a handful of drivers that were they were really good at it, and 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 then as as the it, it got more important, and the race, you know, each race became more important. The other guys stepped their program up. You got guys in there that, you know, Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon became a really good uh, road racer. Kyle Busch uh, is a very good road racer. Uh, Martin Truex. So they've all got proficient at it. They've taken the time to uh, to go to schools. I know that was one of the big things back in the '90s when a lot of the drivers would would go out to to the Bondurant school out there. And, and go out there, uh, you know, uh, several weeks before the race, uh, and would go out there and really work at it. It's it's a lot different to dri- driving a big 3,400 pound stock car than a than a than an open wheel car or, or a much lighter sports car. So it's a whole different tact. And these guys that understand these cars and know what they do and are used to driving that heavy car and know what these break, what how these cars break and the braking systems, the familiarity with the braking systems on these cars. You know, it was it was more of a natural fit. And there you've seen the the road road race ringers. You know, they're kind of relegated uh, back in the pack as also rans because. You know, the regulars now have gotten very, very proficient at what they do. And I'll tell you, the race at Watkins Glen over the last four or five years has been one of the best, if not the best, race of the season. Oh, I agree. Yeah, Watkins Glen is just, number one, it's just a special place. But, man, it's a high-speed circuit with, uh, you, know, you know, fast straightaways and tight you know, tight corners. And they've they, they a produced, great show there. Absolutely. Right, and it's produced some of the best finishes you know, we've seen in the last five or six years. Oh, absolutely. Run the boot. They need, <laughs> yeah. they, they need to run the boot, yeah. I'm with you there. Mm-hmm. I, you, know, you know what? A lot of the drivers would love to run the boot. And why why they haven't warmed up to that, I don't know. You know, IndyCar, IndyCar Tony Stewart has been campaigning for that for yeah. like two or three years. Right. One of the yeah. NASCAR officials was asked last year, I think it was last year or the year before, about running the boot. And they said, well, the problem is if we do that, we reduce the number of laps. So the people that pay to come to see the race don't see the cars as often yeah that and that's, that's the point that's yeah big, that's a big thing that they've you got go to the road race. america yeah road, road yeah. america the indycar race is 55 laps you know yeah. the xfinity race is 40 so yeah, yeah exactly yeah, they've so. got uh they've got it figured out i mean as far as the the what the time it takes to run the race and uh and the number of laps and and that and, and you're right that's the same thing that i the the the, the the thinking that I had heard, the why they have not added the boot uh, to it. They like the setup they got. I think the race is, what, 90, 90 laps? Is that correct? Something, something, yes. Yeah, yeah, 90 laps, and it fits in this, fits in a time window that, that they like, and uh, I think that's what they're going to plan on sticking with. It'll be interesting to see how uh, next year when they go to Charlotte and run the road course down in Charlotte, obviously being, you know, from the grandstands, you'll be able to see the whole road course. If if that has more of a, a fan appeal than you know maybe uh, some of the restricted views you get at uh, Watkins Glen and, and Snowman and places like that, so maybe right. you, you may see in the future some more of the ovals opening up their infield. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, it's it's a, an infield road course on an oval is a 
total different show than a natural terrain road course, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and you yeah. really have to, to to truly, you know, uh, love road racing. You've got to you've got to really appreciate all the nuances of the elevation changes and the you know in the, the grass runoff areas and the long straights and the tight corners, you know. But I would love to see. NASCAR branch out a little more. You know, I love to see them put uh, Road America, Road America on the Cup schedule. They put on a pretty, pretty darn good X, um, Xfinity race there, um, or even like Mid Ohio. Um, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd love to see Laguna Seca back on somebody's yep. schedule, whether it be NASCAR, IndyCar, or, or anybody. So, uh, but uh, you know, me, I, I grew up road racing. I love it. Um, I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Even though, like I said, you know, Sonoma isn't my favorite race course. But uh, the, the Cup guys put on a great show there. And with that in yeah, mind, any, anybody want to care to pick a winner? Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, I'm going to say Kyle Busch gets off the snide this weekend and picks up uh, his first win for of the season and, and Joe Gibbs' first win. And, you yeah. know, we, and, and not kind of branch out a little bit before we go into something else, too. We were talking, we've got 11 different winners this year so far. But look at the number of people that are knocking on the door with teams that can win. And we could have, if, 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 this, if everything goes maybe according to form, all the Joe Gibbs cars win races. That adds four. That's 15. And then if you have uh, Boyer uh, and Harvick get a win, uh, that could put it up to 16 or 17. And then like uh, Richard was talking last week, you know, in these next two races here at the I mean, next two road course races, you could have that surprise winner. Uh, you could have somebody like uh, Almendinger or, or someone slide in and, and, and pick up a win in those situations. Cause we, we could be looking, going and ch- getting ready to go into the chase with, with, with 17 different winners. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you got other guys who are just ready to win you know, chase Elliott. Uh, you know, yeah. Like that. Chase yeah, Elliott. So. Yep. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's gonna it's it's pretty wide open season. And as far uh, as how Eric it, Jones, speaking of speaking of that, Eric Jones is uh, you know they picked up their game uh, the last few weeks and have had some really good wins. So you know he's another one that's going to be knocking on the door. Right, and Daniel Suarez, he could he could he could surprise you too. Yep. Who's next? Seth is next. Uh, well. I'm going to go with a road course ringer, to be honest. I know they typically don't run well, but then again, you haven't had one in Richard Petty's number 43. So I'm going to go with Billy Johnson for this weekend. But I do also want to say I I expect the road course ringers, at least Johnson and Alonde, to turn some heads this weekend and impress. Richard, who do you think? I'm going to go with... Clint Boyer. Okay. Good, good call. Yeah, Clint's uh, Clint's done pretty well in road courses. And Chris, who you like uh, for Sonoma? I hate it, but I'm going to have to say Jimmy Johnson because you know California boy. Why not? Why not? Indeed, yeah. And really, I'm really torn on who to pick on this one. But I think uh, I think there's a guy out there who uh, hasn't really been entirely impressive on road courses, but he's been impressive everywhere who really wanted to win last week in Michigan so he could announce his baby news in Victory Circle, um, but he had to announce it on Twitter. So I'm going to say Joey Logano uh, gets his first unencumbered win of the season <laughs> and his first road course win. So uh, 
So that, that's what I'm going to go with. But, uh, fellas, before we move on to talking about Le Mans, what other, what other stories do we need to talk about, uh, about uh, Copper Xfinity coming out of Michigan or going into Sonoma? Well, in Xfinity, uh, they had an encumbered finish for Denny Hamlin. Uh, he won the race by a nose over William Byron. Uh, the infraction was an L1 uh, penalty, which... In this case, it is the splitter structure, and the note made was that the splitter was not flat. Uh, crew chief Chris Gabehart uh, was fined $25,000, suspended for the next two uh, point races, and the team lost 25 owner points. Yep, they're uh, laying a smack down there. Yep, and they run have and the, and the Xfinity Series has a standalone race this weekend. In Iowa. At Iowa, I believe. Yeah, right. Oh, it is with the truck series. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, the trucks run Friday night, Xfinity Saturday night. Okay. That'd be a good show for the folks in Iowa. I mean, I love love the little boring out there in Iowa, you know. And Uh, they support that track uh, pretty well, too. Yes, yes, they do. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I think one of these days they'd like to have a cup date there, but uh, I just don't know. The schedule's so packed, you know, so. But, um,. They've got uh, they've got the great weekend for the Xfinity and the trucks, and then they've got the um, Indy cars will be there later this summer. So uh, yeah, you know, great little track in Newton. I think what Indy car goes there what second uh, week second week in July. I think that's right. That that sounds about right. Road America yeah. next, and then I think uh, yeah. yeah, Iowa's uh, after that. And then the Xfinity series eventually returns to Iowa late July, early August. Yeah. Right. All right, so, um, so we've all got our picks in for uh, Sonoma. Um, we saw Kyle Larson take another win in Michigan. So uh, a, a lot of the international racing world was focused um, at Le Mans uh, this weekend where we saw Porsche win their, was it their 19th Le Mans, 16th Le Mans? 19th. 19th. See, I, keep, I don't know why I keep wanting to say 16th. Uh, there must have been three I missed somewhere, so... Uh, um, you know, the LMP1 category is with just six entries this year, and it's, uh, you know, it's a hybrid category, so we had uh, uh, three Porsches, or I'm sorry, two Porsches, three Toyotas, and then the um, the Nismo, or the fake Nissan, or what do you call it, Chris? The by, It's uh, by Carlos, but given the fact that the car only lasted seven laps because of an incident on the first lap, by call, LOL. By call, LOL, yep, so... Um, so, Chris, you want to take us through some of the highlights uh, coming out of Le Mans? Well, the racing gods have clearly uh, had their fun over the last few weeks. They decided to toy with Dale Coyne Racing in Texas, and they decided to go across the pond to Le Mans, France, to toy with the entire LMP1 category. So, there were five factory cars in LMP1. Every single one of them had issues. Um, to go numerically speaking, the number one Porsche was actually the one that did the most. Um, they led a long portion of the race after the number seven Toyota retired. But unfortunately, with just under four hours to go, the number one Porsches came to a crawl uh, in the early part of the lap uh, with Andre Lauderer behind the wheel, and they had no oil pressure. And unfortunately, the batteries could not get the... Uh, car the rest of the way around the track so they stopped uh, in the early part of the lap uh, on the Mulzahn straight and they were out all of a sudden with a 13 lap lead 
the number two Porsche had to replace a front drive motor. I want to say it was like they had to replace like the entire front axle of the car. That was done within the first three hours of the race. They went back uh, into the race in 56th place. They bobbed and weaved their way through the field, and eventually they ended up winning the whole race, um, passing one of the um, Jackie Chan racing LMP2 cars in the final hour of the race. That would have been an interesting story seeing an LMP2 car win. The number seven Toyota led very early in the race, but after a kind of weird pit exit under the first safety car of the race in the 10th hour, the uh, engine had a clutch driveline issue coming onto the main str- uh, the start finish straight, and unfortunately they could not make it all the way around the uh, track to get back to the pit, so they were out of the race. Twenty minutes later, well, let's let's skip number eight and we'll get to that one later. The twenty minutes later, the number nine car has an issue. They had a collision with another LP two car, and they had a tire left rear tire failure. Coming out of Arnage, they had a massive amount of smoke and some fire. And the car ended up quitting on the team within sight of pit road for the ultimate cruelty. Now, number eight Toyota actually led early in the race. They had a, um, a hybrid system issue in like the early in like the middle part of the race. They had to spend about an hour and a half or two hours in the pits. They went back out and they got second place in LMP1 as the only Toyota to finish. But it was clear that this was unlike any Le Mans that I had seen in a long time, and. As I was listening to the Radio Lamar f- f- coverage, I just kept thinking, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And really, there was action throughout the field. Because the GTE Pro class, the lead changed on the second-to-last lap of the race with Aston Martin getting past Corvette after the Corvette of Jordan Taylor had a tire failure on the last lap of the race. Um, overall, it was a strange race, Frank. It was, yeah. but um, and, and I saw that uh, last lap pass there with... Uh with the uh, Aston Martin. So, so Toyota still snake with that Le Mans. They've been trying to win this thing. Um, and yet, uh, to this date, the only, the only Japanese manufacturer to win Le Mans is still Mazda, I believe, several years yes. back. Um, in 1991. So, 91, yeah. So, I mean, I remember that one quite well. So, uh, even though Toyota's got a pretty good car, they've got some of the best drivers in the business in the cars, and they just can't uh, catch the luck of the what you, the racing gods, as you call it. So, uh, the, they, they finished second five times. And, in fact, they had, um, I think, three of those times, they were actually leading in the final hour yeah. before mm-hmm. uh, they uh, had failures. And I know... I think it was 2014, or yeah, I think it was 2014. They were actually were leading the race, like in the eighth hour, before they had a failure. And this year, they were leading. And they had a failure. So I mean, it's just it, it really. I hate the fact that this had this happened to them, but we know, given their CEO's comments from Lamar in the post race release, I'm pretty sure they'll be back. Oh yeah, they'll be back. Yeah, so but we saw some familiar names over Le Mans, You know, familiar to us, the following IndyCar, um, Tony Kanaan. Um, you know, a veteran driver of many years is a, a rookie element filling in for um, Sebastian Bourdais uh, in the uh, the GTE Pro class. Uh, Four GT, yeah, yep, and the Four GT. I believe they finished uh, uh, fourth in class, or was it fifth? I don't have the results in front okay, of me. Yeah, the, 60, I think it, the sixty-seven car finished second because it it went around the Corvette too uh, late in the race, while the Corvette limped back to. Uh, to the start finish line, right? Yeah, and that was, uh, and yes, I think it was Scott Dixon was in the other one. 
I forget who was driving the business. I'm trying to remember who all was there. I know. Tony was, was, Tony, Tony was there. Car. Nick Dixon was there, yeah. yeah so the six, yeah. The, there, there is an American connection to the 67 car. Uh, Pebo Durrani, who was in the uh, in that car with Harry Tintinell and Andrew Priol, he won the 24 Hours of Daytona and the 12 Hours of Sebring last year and actually drove in the Maserati to India a few years ago. So in the 68 uh, Ford GT with Tony Kanaan, they ended up finishing second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth in class. Yeah, so I was the thinking one, sixth, yeah. And the car behind them was had Ryan Briscoe uh, as one of the drivers. So they had a and Scott Dixon. So they had an Indi, a great IndyCar connection there as well. But another rookie that uh, was at Le Mans for his very first time, well, the uh, Rubens Barrichello, his car finished thirteenth overall. Oh, good for him! I, I hadn't heard anything out of Rubens in a while, so uh, uh, you know, good for him. So. By the way, the number eight Toyota finished eighth and eighth overall. Um, eighth overall, despite not uh, finishing the race, right? Correct. There were two laps behind the car that finished seventh. Now, there's one other thing that I think uh, is very interesting. The number I'm looking at it right here, the number thirteen um, Rebellion car in LMP2 completed 364 laps, which actually got them third place overall. But they were disqualified because they had a um, they made modifications to the bodywork. So in LMP2, you cannot make any modifications to the bodywork, but they actually cut a hole in the engine cover to where they could actually hit the starter motor to actually start the car after every pit stop. Yeah, I did I did read about the disqualification. That's interesting about the modification there. So, But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, to, you know, to folks that don't watch a lot of endurance racing, you know, to realize this is a, you know, a 24-hour race. Um, when you hear this, you know, statistic like the, the leader was in 52nd place, 18 laps down, and then he was catching the, the catching the second place car by 13 seconds a lap. You know, you know this is this is incredible stuff that, that you won't find in um, you know an American Indy car or stock car racing. You know, you just don't have the different classes on the same track. You don't have tracks of this this incredible length. Uh, you know, Le Mans eight miles around, um, and this incredible distance running for a whole day. So, uh, and this, the you know the stats coming out of endurance racing, particularly Mars, always just blow my mind to read them because they seem they seem impossible. You know, when you put it in the context of uh, of what you know, but uh, but as you really kind of dig into and have a, a good look at this thing man you, you can see that you know that's that's pretty impressive feat you know coming back from uh was it 18 laps down in 56 place so you know yeah great what's, job great job also, porsche yeah what's also great is that you know you had an lmp2 car actually leading and had a shot at winning the race um the number 38 car actually was leading until the last hour of the race um they had thomas laurent hope Tung, who tried to drive the Indy 500 back in 2011, and you had Oliver Jarvis, who actually, I believe, if I remember right, actually drove um, for Audi in LMP1. Um, so, you know, you had, in fact, actually, he finished third three times for Audi at Le Mans. So, you know, he knows his stuff. Absolutely. Now, have we, have we ever had the um, a car out of the top class win over all Le Mans? Has that ever happened? Yes. Um, I, I want to say I thought it did. I just couldn't remember when. I So they actually discussed it. Back in like 1998, they had the um, GT1 cars that were going up against prototypes, but they were basically almost like prototypes in a sense. Um, they had the 1994, they had a, a GT car that won, although 
it's GT in name only because it was basically a Porsche 962 that was homologated for road use because some guy built a supercar out of it. They called it the Dower, D-A-U-E-R. I do remember um, that, yeah. I remember the Dower Porsche, yeah. They had, um, although probably in my opinion, the most famous example of a um, car not necessarily in the top class winning was 1965 when you had a Ferrari um, – a car that was designed for the GT class that entered as a prototype ended up winning from the pure built prototypes because they didn't have enough cars built, and they ended up winning because they didn't have any reliability issues the whole race. I believe it was Mastin Gregory and Jochen Rindt actually ended up winning that year. Wasn't there also, and I, I may be wrong here, I'm just going back to something I read a long, long time ago. When Bentley won, I guess in the early 2000s, they weren't an LMP1 car, were they? They were their own unique class. Am I right? Uh, Along Look, those lines. I actually have the uh, results right here. They were actually in, um, <clears throat> yeah, technically, wow, technically they were their own class. Um, LMGTP is what it's called, although I got, I don't, I got to see what the issue, what you know, why that took yeah. place. I remember, I remember reading something about it, or you know, hearing it at the time that they were, uh, yeah, they were their own unique uh, entry. They were. They were. Uh, I, I I would love to see how that actually fit into the class structure for the 2003 running of the race. Um, but yeah, that's the thing about 1965 that I, I mentioned earlier was, as I said, the car was actually designed for the GT class, but because they didn't build enough of them, it had to compete in the prototype class. But it ended up winning by five laps. Um, Frank, you had something. Huh? Well, I just, no, I just, I'm just so I'm just listening to y'all, man. You know, I just, again, I, I find the, I the uh, different classes on the same track in the long race. Oh, it's, it's so absolutely unique uh, from what us in the states are used to on a racetrack. You know, you wouldn't put, uh, you know, X, Xfinity cars and trucks and Cup cars on the same track and make a long, oh, you know, long race that. and see how it goes. Or call, you know, call, call. I would call, love to see that. I would. <laughs> you know, you you wouldn't put Indy Lights cars and. and uh, Indy cars on the same track and make it a long race and see how they do. On a road uh, course, I would absolutely love to see that. That, they, that, they that would be interesting. Yeah, it had to be a long track, though. You know? Road America would be perfect for it, but they're not that far apart in terms of performance. Another thing I do want to bring up to Tioni Ferrari uh, a few hours into the race, I, that's yes, right. I tried to actually apologize today. Um, it was, I mean, looking it back, was, go ahead and move. It was like an hour and a half in the race, if that. I mean, that's how early it was. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was early really on, yeah. They actually, so that car that they actually had over there, I think it was actually delivered from um, uh, Italy to the track so that Reese wouldn't have to bring their car from America over to run, if I remember correctly. That is correct. That sounds right, yeah. So. And uh, the LMP2 car that caused the incident, they have time penalties at the next two uh, races, I want to say it's a three-minute penalty plus a three-minute stop-and-go at both. Jeez. Jeez. They, um, oh, another thing uh, from Lamar. There was a, uh, one of the incidents that I actually did see live when I was at the store doing my, you know, my mother, if I had it on in the warehouse where I work, uh, where I'm not doing writing and all, um, they had the uh, first in- major incident in the race was between an LMP2 car, I believe it was Romain Rusinov driving uh, with uh, Khalid Al Kubaisi and one of the, I, I think it was a Porsche or an Aston Martin. But 
they had a I think they also had a time penalty against that car, the LMP2 car after it was retired. But they had it was trying to overtake a GT car in the Porsche curves and they just did not make that work at all. It was, clearly was over his head, in my opinion. Um, I mean, that's all I got about Lamont. I don't know if you guys have anything else. Um, I, I don't know if it, nobody else does. Any, any other no. comments coming out of Lamont? Uh, not that I can think of. All right, so let's let's, let's talk IndyCar for a bit here, um, and we've got uh, we're heading to one of the. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, one of the most fantastic race courses in the world, Le Mans, we're heading in IndyCar, heading to one of the, another one of the most fantastic race courses in the world, uh, which is nestled up there north of Sheboygan in Wisconsin, uh, Road America. Uh, back there for the second time uh, for the Verizon IndyCar Series. Um, you know, although it's only the second time, it's, there's a rich history of uh, open wheel racing uh, from Road America that dates back to. Uh, where the kart series ran there from 2002, I'm sorry, from 1982 uh, to about, I want to say 2005 or six is uh, when they started running some issues. They dropped the race one year, tried to bring it back, um, and then it just kind of sat in limbo uh, for a number of years. But uh, came back on the schedule last year. They, the um, uh, the track president said the crowd there they had was you know, they, even though they don't really count the attendance there, they said it was pretty close to uh, anything that as big as the 80s or the 90s, pretty close to a record crowd. Um, they're hoping to build on that this year. Um, so, uh, you know, as we're moving on, we've got a tight, tight championship in um, in IndyCar. Uh, so, uh, Chris, what are your thoughts heading into Road America? Well, uh, it's going to be an interesting weekend. Um not just for IndyCar, but for the entire road to Indy as well. Um, IndyCar is coming off of a, a nice little break, so and some teams actually tested at Road America, so it's going to be interesting to see how those teams do. Um, I believe Esteban Gutierrez is going to be driving for Dale Coyne Racing at uh, Road America, so it'll be great to see him driving up there. Um, going Just stepping on the road to Indy very briefly, there's been a kind of an, a shuffling of entries. There's a few US 2000 cars that won't be there. There's a couple of extra Pro Mazda cars that are going to be there. So they actually, they have some strong field, a strong field in Pro Mazda. Indy Lights only has 14 cars, which um, I wish there were more, but I mean, it is what it is. Um, for Road America, though, it'd be great to see Spencer Piggott get back on track. Um, he did a good job there last year for Ed Carpenter Racing. In fact, I think both cars got a top 10 finish there last year. So it'd be interesting to see how they can improve upon last year's uh, results. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of wondering, you know, last year we had, um, you know, issues with the Honda, you know, and the Chevrolet not being quite as evenly matched. This year, you know, Honda's actually 5-4 to four, um, ahead of Chevrolet in the wind column. And, uh, you know, Road America's got some, some awful long straightaways. Uh, you know, where they can really get the power down. And Honda has, uh, uh, you know, if you look at the, the Speedway races, really seem to have the edge on the on, on the power there. So I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to see uh, some of these Honda drivers, particularly like the ones I've got my eye on for this weekend, are uh, Alexander Rossi, um, Ryan Hunter-Ray, uh, Graham Rahal, uh, who's excelled on road courses uh, recently. Uh, you know, I wonder if, uh, you know, last year was an all-wheel-power show. I think he led uh, pretty much start to finish, um, but uh, I think we're you know I I'm not sure this track is going to Honda favor Honda or favor favor the Penske's you know I would say favor Chevrolet but the Penske's seem to be in the class of, the, of their own um, so uh, I, I'm really interested to see it how they do um, 
the uh, teams were there. Te- Andretti team was there testing. They ran some uh, lights guys um, as well. Uh, I want to say Penske was up at Watkins Glen testing last week, so they got some uh, road course miles in. So um, it'd be really interesting to see how, how how it all shakes out. But again, it is one of the greatest places on the planet to watch a race. Absolutely. Uh, sorry, I had to get my mute button collected up there. Um, I went to Road America once back in 2013 for a um, amateur race weekend, and the the sightlines there are pretty pretty amazing. I mean, I didn't get to watch it uh, go to that many parts of the track, but from the areas I was able to go to, it was fantastic to see. Uh, I would love to go back there someday, and soon I hope I will. Frank or Seth? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I had to hit my mute button. <laughs> As we both got that same problem on a mute button. Yeah, I was the last time I was around America, it's been a while. It's been 97, I think. I was there 95, 6, and 7. So a couple of really good IndyCar races there. You know, I, I saw Michael Andretti take the win when little Al blew up on the last lap. You know, it's kind of funny. <clears throat> you know, they say that um, you know, the Andrettis can't win at Indy. Um, you know, the answers are snake bit at Road America. Um, there's been, I think, six occasions where either Al Sr. or Al Jr. have been leading Road America and dropped out in the lead. And the Unsters do not have a win at Road America. Just, you know, one of those stats that uh, doesn't make any sense this day and age, being no no more active uh, <coughs> Unsters behind the wheel in IndyCar. But uh, I was reading on reading up on that the other day. Yeah, in 85, uh, I believe Al Jr. was in the lead of the race when he crashed when the track uh you know, was wet from rain. Right. And mm-hmm. and, nine, and 10 years later, in 95, he was battling with Michael Andretti um, on, like, the second or third lap of the race, and uh, they two, the two touched and went off the track uh, on the straightaway heading into the Turn 5, which I have no idea why it's named Turn 5. It should be Turn 3, in my opinion, but that's another topic for another day. Yeah, and that's the year then Jacques Villeneuve wanted to win that. And interesting enough, two different drivers named Jacques Villeneuve have won a Road America. And in fact, there were actually were um, Jacques Villeneuve, the uh, uncle, yes. won in '85, and the nephew, I believe, he won in '94. I'm not sure if he won in '95 or not. He did. He won back to back '94, '95. All right. He won back to back in the players' car. Yeah, but the un- uncle Jacques won, you know, early on, and then of course the first winner Road America was a uh, Formula One privateer Hector Rabake. You know, before Hector came over to IndyCars, he uh, <coughs> he ran a Formula One in a you know car of his uh, in a team of his own name, Rabake Racing, and he would drive last year's Lotus cars. You know, whatever Colin Chapman was throwing away, you know, uh, he would uh, he would sell to Hector, and Hector ran his own team. I remember he uh, he, he ran an ex ex uh, Mario Andretti uh, Lotus seventy eight painted brown. You know, when Andretti was out there in the, in the Lotus 79. So uh, and that was Hector's uh, one and only uh, IndyCar win. And again, Jacques Villeneuve, Uncle Jack, his one and only IndyCar uh, win as well happened at Road America. So we could see a first-time winner here. I mean, the track has a history of producing first-time winners, you know, back in the cart era. But if you had to say if, if a first-time winner was to, uh, you know, come out at Road America, you got to look at a guy like, like you said, Spencer Piggott. Um, Connor Daly's done well in the road courses. You know, I don't know that the Foyt car um, is is up to the task, but I think the driver is. So, I'd love to see Alexander Rossi win at Road America. That's why. That's why I'm picking. Yeah. But even though he's, oh, two I, to eight. I mean, I've got, I've got him in the pool. I mean, you can pick him here. I've got him in the in in the in the pool on the, the social media pool. I picked Rossi. Everyone else is picking Simon and or Will. Um, there's a couple picking New Garden and uh, Ray Hall, but yeah, I, I think I'm the only one in that pool over there picking Rossi. So uh, 
hoping Rashi can win so I can move up the standings a little bit. I got dibs on him in this uh, pool, though. All right, so you got him. <laughs> Seth, you want to make a pick for America? Um, yeah, I'll make a pick. I am actually going to go with somebody else who I think would also be a first-time winner. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I'm going to go with Mikhail Lotion. I just have Ooh. a fun... Uh, I just think they're going to do some weird strategy and uh, sneak away with a win. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Road America is not exactly the place to play weird strategy with a four-mile long <laughs> lap, but, um, but it could happen. I know that. It, it I know that. Happen, so. And, um, Gray, I'm going to let you take a pick for Road America. Dixon, I tell you, he's really yummy. There you go. Team, but he's, he's got a rebound at some point uh, after a terrible uh, Indy and, and some bad luck at, uh, at Texas. Yeah, and, and I don't know if you caught the little news story that I uh, saw today. I don't know if you saw the, the thing that went viral with the little girl wrote the letter, the little five-year-old girl wrote the letter to, to IndyCar to thank them for keeping Scott Dixon safe in the Yeah, I saw that. Yep. Well, he, he stopped by her house today and met the little girl. How big, about that? Big photo up there. See, yeah, you know what, that was, uh, that was real cool, real, real, real big of Scott Dixon to do that. So, uh, But, yeah, Dixon's an excellent pick for Road America. And, Richard, who do you like for Road America? Ooh. Okay, I'm looking at one of, the pins. one of the stars. I think it's going to be one of the pins. No. Oh, um, hey, you, got, you got four to choose from. No. Uh, <laughs> Pagano. Pagano, good pick. Good pick, yeah. yeah. Pagano was boring. Uh, I know it's a boring pick, but... It's a boring pick, but yeah, he'll probably he could probably win it. Yeah, and so and speaking of boring picks, since uh, Chris, uh, I, I, I gifted you my exciting pick of Rossi. I'm going to go with the boring pick of Will Power, um, who was uh, who, who made the race boring last year. Um, you know, it's like a lot of uh, passing through the lead. Um, but uh, if you'd like to watch uh, just somebody, the master of a road course, there, I thought it was very exciting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Will Power goes back to Hawkins Glen. So, or, I mean, at Road America rather. Um, but move on. We'll talk about uh, Formula One. We're going to Baku uh, this weekend, the place I like to call Fake Monaco. Um, you know, I don't. I just think it's funny. I don't know if you ever have seen the like the the pictures of after the race, where all you know all the the beautiful apartment buildings around the course, and those are actually really old, dilapidated looking buildings that they just put a big banner over so they look nice on TV. <laughs> This is a true story, yeah. So last yeah. year, they, they, it looks so nice, and then it just they, they take the, the take the banners off the, the off the buildings there, and you say, okay, yeah. So it's not this really nice looking Monaco place, but it does wind around a beautiful castle. And how many racetracks can say that? But uh, you uh, just talk about Baku and uh, who we should who we, who we should be looking out for. I mean, it, it, it's classed as the fastest street circuit in the world. Um, you know, I, I don't know the length thing off the top of my head, but you've got that really long run from the final corner, corner down into turn one, um, you know, probably at least a mile in length, if not slightly longer. And I think last year's race was a, a little bit of an anticlimax. They expected a, a lot more um, contact with, with some of those walls around the castle. I mean, there's parts of the track that is it's single file all the way around. Um, and if you get, you know, one of the guys up at the front on the early laps contacting the wall, you could have so you could have a real mess up there. But everybody was really well behaved last year, and um, 
you know, again, you, you to a certain extent, you're starting to expect that with with these drivers. You know, they, the teams have the simulators and they have a lot of these um, tools available to the drivers now. So when they turn up at these tracks, they know where the braking points are. They know within one or two percentage points what their downforce setup is going to be, what the mechanical grip settings are going to be. So it's never a huge shock as everybody likes to make it out to be. Uh, and you know, last year's race was was highlighted by Hamilton's um, ERS issues. His, his hybrid system uh, got into a, a fault mode, if you like, and um, because that really highlighted some of those uh, rules they had last year, where the team couldn't give drivers instructions on what to do, and uh, they were saying, "Well, you're in fault mode. You need to reset it." And Hamilton kept asking, "How do I reset it?" And I'm like, "We can't tell you." Um, there was a lot of thought of, well, do you tell him how to reset it and then just take the penalty at the end of the race, which was a 15-second penalty or whatever it may have been. He may have you know, finished higher than that. But um, I think it would be interesting interesting this weekend. Hopefully, the, you know, maybe the drivers now are a little bit more confident on um, the, the tight, tighter section of the track and maybe they push it a little bit harder and maybe make some mistakes. Um, it, otherwise, it could become a bit of a procession, especially there with that long straightaway there. You know, the Mercedes get out front. I really can't see anybody catching them, and um, I think it'll be their race again this year. But as you say, it's a fantastic place to go racing. Yeah, I mean, it, it really doesn't matter who's who's leading in the who's leading at the beginning or who does well in qualifying is going to really tell the tale because that that place is it's awful narrow. You know, it's really hard. Yeah, to pass, that's so. the. That's the thing that can cause that can catch people out. I think more than anything, as I say, if there's an incident early in the race, you know, a couple of cars in the top top three or four positions maybe get get together uh, up around the castle sector there, then it can uh, you can back it. can back the whole field up. I mean, it's almost like a um, you know a Macau or, or one of those sort of style yeah. circuits where you know you've seen some of those wrecks. It just becomes a parking lot pretty quickly back there. Right, and then once once everybody's through, you know, if some of your top cars are out, you can see somebody, you know, yep. um, they wouldn't expect coming. You know, you could see, you could see the Renault up front or the Haas car or or, or you see Lance Stroll win a race after being uh, well, called well, the well, worst well, rookie well, in history. <laughs> so, but, um, so big news coming out of Sauber this weekend, Richard. you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, Dave... It's not necessarily a surprise, really, that they've removed uh, Manisha, uh, begging me, please forgive me if I pronounce this name, Kettleborn, I think is the correct pronunciation there. Um, she's been removed as team principal, technical director, or uh, whatever the, the exact title she had. Um, it's all been a little bit messy at Sauber for a number of years now, since BMW pulled out. Um, you know, there was the, quite the infamous um, case a few years ago where Adrian Sutil and Guido van der Gaard both had the same seat. Uh, Sauber took both of the drivers' money and then told van der Gaard that he wasn't needed anymore and kept his money. <laughs> Probably kept the company going, in all fairness. So um, you know, maybe it wasn't a bad move from there. But there's been a lot of silly little things going on at Sauber. And, you know, Peter Sauber was one of these diehard racing guys. He, he'd sell the shirt off his own back to keep the team going and, and keep them racing and um, it's a shame to see them where they are. And obviously, they've announced a deal with Honda for next year, so maybe they could be the Honda Works team next year. Who knows? Um, you know, if, if they get some money in there, I, I think they can hopefully resurrect themselves. Depends who ends up going in there to run the team now, because obviously Peter Sauber's taken more of a backseat role. Um, 
it'll be you know it's a good little team. It's it's a it's a real privateer team, really. I mean, it's probably only themselves and Williams that are uh, are left of the old old guard sort of um, privateer teams. And you know some some really good drivers have, have cut the teeth in Saudi. You know, Philippe Massa started there, Kimi Raikkonen started out there, um, and yeah, it'd be uh, you know really good to see them. Uh, you know, have a bit of a resurrection. Get somebody in there who can organise the team. Get a bit of financial backing in there. Hopefully, Honda can sort of turn the corner a little bit and and, and make them a little bit more competitive because. You know, teams, you know, big manufacturers, as we've seen in the past, BMW come and go, um, Toyota come and go, but it's the guys at Saubers that stick around, which, uh, you know, maybe a bit of a little bit of romance there, but uh, it's great to see teams like that there. And hopefully this uh, move can uh, can hopefully, uh, you know, see a bit of an upturn in their fortune. Yeah, you know, I hope to see Sauber continue on the grid, you know, because if you start, just start to think of how many teams have come and gone, you know, <laughs> Over the years, your manners, your Jordan, your you know all these uh, you know, teams, and, and like I said, Willie Williams is still there after after all this year, after all these years, and Sauber's still there. Um, you know, Tyrrell has come and gone, and and yeah, Formula One can't really afford to lose another team, no matter how small they are. Um, you know, you know the grid size is at what twenty one right now or twenty right now. Um, and I remember years ago, there used to be used to be about twenty six. Um, yeah. IndyCar is in the same boat with 20 cars on the grid. So uh. There has been talk, and the FIA have confirmed today that there has been interest from another organization, um, an 11th team uh, under the branding of China Grand Prix Racing or something along those. Obviously, somebody with some Chinese backing. The, the, the company name is registered to a French uh, sports lawyer, I believe, who hasn't commented yet on the rumors, but um, they're supposedly a serious interest. Uh, the FIA and uh, the new Formula 1 owners, Liberty, uh, want to get back to 11, 12 teams um, out there. There's All of the circuits have a minimum requirement to be able to support 12 uh, garages and 12 um, teams. So that I think you, know, you, you need those numbers, really. Yeah, um, yeah. Any, any, any less than you're, you know, you're looking like you're a support series, you know. Well, yeah, and and the way Formula One's become so structured recently is that if you're at the back, you're pretty much cemented down there. It's very hard to see teams progress through. I mean, Sauber have been down there for the last few years. Um, they've been, you know, when Manor were there, it was the Manor Sauber battle, wasn't it, for uh, you know for that tenth place money, and, right, and yeah. that old style structure that Bernie Eccleston and the Formula One management group have didn't help the smaller teams with. You know, if you if there's eleven teams and you finish eleventh, you don't get any money for the following year in terms of transportation costs and the like. Um, and that that really hits these smaller teams, and these little teams need encouragement. Um, it's an incredibly competitive world, and when you're up against the likes of your Red Bulls and your Mercedes and your McLarens and your Ferraris, who have budgets just beyond the dreams of some of these smaller teams, but you know, then they they try and you know every other weekend go out there and compete on the same stage. It uh, you know I've been for team I've been at teams that have struggled, and you know what it gets it's a, it's a struggle. You know to get that motivation to go out there every week and do it, it's difficult. So you need that bit more competition. You need you know I'm not saying you need Sauber to go and win a race, but you need for them to at least be in a position where 
you know, they can push for points and that midfield tail end battle is competitive. Um, you, you really need that, I think, uh, for the good of the sport. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, for too many years, Formula One structure has been one that allows the rich to get richer, you know? Yeah. And you know, let, the, them, the, let them do it. The difficult thing is, and we've all, I've always had this debate when, you know, in any form of motorsport, the concept of, you know, not salary cap, but budget cap, should we say. And it, it's a very difficult thing because most teams now, most of the big teams now have secondary engineering companies. Um, there's the Williams Advanced Engineering Group. There's um, McLaren have three main companies there. Um, Red Bull have Red Bull Technology. So you can often see a scenario where your satellite company actually does contract work for your race team and then bills it as you know incredibly small cost. You can I've heard rumours. I don't know how true there is this in that certain championship winning teams have bought gearboxes for $5,000 from their sister company, when in fact those gearboxes have cost half a million dollars to develop. Um, you know, they, pay, they play these sort of financially manipulating games, and no matter what happens, your big teams are going to spend money. You know, your Mercedes oh, are yeah. going to have $500 million a year budget, whatever it may be. So you need, So you just have to accept that. And at some point, Mercedes will pull out and they'll go and find something else to do. And Renault will pull out and go and find something else to do. And Honda will pull out and go and find something else to do. Um, but you need those core group of the smaller teams that are always going to be there, that are going to you know, compete amongst themselves. Let, let these big guys go off. But you know, make sure that you know, your Saubers are there, your, your Williams are there, your, your Force India, you know, who used to be the Jordan to a certain extent, are still right. there. Um, they're the key to the sport. They're the backbone to the sport that have always been there and will always be there and, and keep, you know, they're the really good guys, for want of a better word. Yeah, speaking of that, I saw Red today where there's uh, quite possibly there, there may be an 11th team joining the grid uh, in, the, in the future, a uh, Chinese Formula One team. Yeah, so that's uh, an interesting concept. I mean, you see it so often. I mean, there's talk. There was talk of the team the Czech Republic and um, and all this. FAA have got to be very careful and do their due diligence and make sure that these people that want to get involved are actually genuine and have the money and have the backing because you know you can you can you can mess with a lot of people's careers if you start messing around with this sort of stuff. So. Um, you know they've obviously got to do their due diligence and make sure these guys are legitimate and make sure these guys can um, can put the money up that needs to be put up to be competitive. I mean, it wouldn't be a 2018 entry; it'd be a 2019 entry. Now mm -hmm. it was confirmed in the next week or two. I mean, just really, these cars are so complex. Unless you're a complete satellite, to, you know, unless you buy another team or unless you you buy everything lock stock and you know. There's no way that you can, um, uh, you know, you could get something up in eight months. Uh, I mean, uh, people criticised um, Haas F1 for taking 18 months, but I thought they did exactly the right thing. You know, I think Gene Haas has to take a lot of credit there because, you know, he probably lost money in the short term by not jumping straight in, but long term, I think he, he gained from that by um, by doing it the right way. 
Yeah. Oh, I absolutely. Yeah. And, and, they, and they didn't look like fools when they hit the grid. You know, no. they, they, they they you know look like a professional team there, and they you know they've scored some points here over the years. So, but guys, we are just about out of time here, so I'm just going to go around the table. Um, for final thoughts with everybody, uh, if you'd like to make a pick for Baku, you can. You know, if you want to say Mercedes or Ferrari. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> Gray, I'll start with you. You got a final thought coming out of this week um, before we sign off for the night? Nope, we're uh, fast approaching the uh, halfway point in the uh, the cup season. Uh, should be about uh, 10 races left before we hit the chase. So, uh and getting into uh, going into the road course, always interesting. Uh, we could see uh, some trends uh, uh, start to, to come forward for the for the next uh, ten races before the chase this weekend. Absolutely, yeah. It's that time of year, man. Some, uh, you know, it's getting tight. So, uh, Chris, you got some final thoughts there? Yeah. Um... Not really about Baku. I mean, if I wanted to do a Joker pick, I'd say Alonzo, but... Um, that would be a joke, just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sorry, man. Um, I loved, I just remember seeing his or hearing him say that, you know, why not go to IndyCar for full-time uh, competition? Love to see it happen. Um, I am going to do a bit of a safe pick uh, for Maserati to Indy this weekend at Road America. I'm going to say Oliver Askew wins both the USF 2000 races. If he does, that'll make seven wins out of eight races on the season so far for him. Pretty safe pick there, yeah. So, um, so Seth, final thoughts on the weekend before we sign off for the night? Uh, in the Xfinity Series, you have two drivers making their debut. You have Bobby Dale Earnhardt, who's the older son of uh, uh, Kerry Earnhardt. And you have Ty Majeski, who has the highest I rating on iRacing. Uh, he came. Oh, I'm sorry. What? So the guy is good at video games? <laughs> okay. I just well, I just want to confirm that's what you sim mean, right? Racing. NASCAR actually has a series <coughs> online. Okay. I've heard of this. Yeah, but it's it's a video game, right? It's a simulation. Okay. <laughs> okay. So do, hey, do driving you, dirt on that do, thing do is a put, lot of fun. Do you, do you put gas in it? <laughs> no. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so he's he's good at uh, i racing. So he's making his debut. Good for him. I hope he does well in a in a real automobile. And what else you got? Seth? He's driving for Roush. Okay, I mean nothing wrong with that. I like Jack Roush. I just you just caught me off guard with uh, with his with his <laughs> with his accolade being video games. I'm sorry. I, I'm old school. Well, he, he he does race a super late model. Okay. in real life. All right. He was the pole sitter at the 2015 Snowball Derby, setting a new track record. So he, he is actually pretty good in a car. See, that would be better, Seth, than to tell me how good he is. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so we wish him hey. well on his debut. Seth, you want to you want to pick? I'm a an eye for... racer too. So, but, uh, yeah, but I don't see you going making, back... making your debut. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to Baku, uh, I'm gonna go with Daniel Ricardo. Okay, good, good pick. Yeah, I mean if. Uh... Uh, you know, if, if it wasn't a Ferrari or Mercedes, it had to be the Red Bull. So, uh, Richard, you got a final thought on the weekend? I think in looking in the Cup Series, uh, as, as Gray mentioned earlier, we're sort of getting down to the sharp end of, uh, you know, drivers securing their berth in the in the chase. There's some pretty big names out there who uh, haven't uh, sealed the deal yet. And I think uh, 
next few weeks you're going to start to see some uh, some pretty broad shoulders from some of those leading drivers, and uh, I think Sonoma is a pretty good place to start to see some uh, some pretty aggressive driving, some side by side driving there, and uh, it could be a really really good race. Uh, really looking forward to that one. Um, going into Baku. Similar track in a way, and I know he's driven well there in the past when he was at Williams, so I'm going to go for Valtteri Bottas. I think uh, similar circuit to Russia in a way, those uh, you know, the sweeping tight uh, line, tri- line, um, line track. So, uh, yeah, Valtteri, I think, uh, could get another win. Okay, good call there. So my final thought of the weekend, I mean, we've got we've got a great uh, weekend of road course racing with uh, IndyCar Road America and... Um, you know, the Cup Series out at Sonoma, um, those are two great natural terrain road courses, which still in my mind is the best place to to race or to watch a race. So uh, I'm looking forward to both those races. I think the um, the title battle for IndyCar is going to heat up considerably here. I think somebody is going to uh, stake their claim to this thing and really just push ahead, and I think that's going to be willpower. Um, so we'll see how that goes from there. But he's, he's going to have a heck of a battle on his hands from the likes of guys like Scott Dixon uh, to Kumasato, who's right there in the mix, and uh, indeed Simon Pagino. So for Baku, I'm going to say Hamilton Pole uh, leads the first lap, leads all the laps, most laps to wins the race, uh, Hamilton. So um, with that being said, I want to thank all you guys. I want to thank uh, the Hoobazoo Radio Network for putting us on. I want to thank all of our listeners. Uh, I want to thank you, Gray, Chris, Richard, Seth. Um, and again, we'll talk to everybody in one week's time. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.